0: Amen. You can be seated. Go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 19. Welcome uh, those of you who are online and those of you who are here with us today. 1 Kings chapter 19. We are looking at a biographical study of the life of uh, Elijah. Before we uh, get started, do one thing, whether you're online or uh, here. Would you just take a deep breath for one second? Just do that it's his breath it's the air that God just gave to us and you know if you have breath today then God is offering you hope 800,000 people a year take their life by suicide because they've lost hope in some area and so we are talking about hope in this series, First Kings chapter 19, and uh, as we begin, I want your participation for just a minute, so if you're online, maybe you could even uh, uh, do a, a post here, uh, but here's the question, very simple, what story do you think of when you think of Elijah? What story do you think of when you think of Elijah? Somebody tell me a, a story that comes to mind. Okay, the prophets of Baal. Right, he called the fire down. Awesome. Some, someone else? The ravens. the ravens. All right. Yeah, he uh, was fed by the river, uh, by the ravens. Great. Something else? What's that? The dry bones? I'm trying to remember. There. <laughs> she sent us a different. <laughs> the, the what? Oh, a different E. Yeah, so, okay. I'm trying, I still am lost. So yeah, I'm trying to remember that, guys. Yeah. Uh, all right, someone else. The cave. the cave, okay. Yeah, so we were talking about him in the cave. See, there's a lot of stories about Elijah. But most of them are not about this scene that we're in the cave right now. Most of them are his miracles. How he was able to impact the lives of other people. How he was able to make a difference. And we're going to conclude by looking at the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And when we look at Elijah, we're going to see some wonderful things that are talked about by him. But it's not at his lowest point in the cave. And I want us to understand, if you have breath in your lungs today, God offers you hope. He wants to minister to you, and he is here for you. Well, let's pray, and we'll uh, uh, jump into this. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel, okay, now I'm remembering, all right, so it just came to mind, so thanks. Yeah, the the other E you said, all right, got it, all right. Well, uh, November 8th, just a couple weeks away, uh, will be our church's 28th anniversary. Paul and I came to the area 28 years ago, and the piece of advice that one of my professors gave me was don't take a vacation until you have built your first building. And so we went five years and then bought land and was able to build our first building. And uh, we worked really hard to get to that point. Now I wanna say, I think that's terrible advice. If you're gonna start a church, don't wait to take a vacation uh, for five years. Or if you uh, work on your job, you know, make sure you take vacations as well. But I, I would just say that uh, you know, my family learned to work. My dad came from North Carolina And uh, he worked two jobs to be able to provide uh, for our family. And then he helped his brother start a business. And a few years later, he started a business as well and became quite successful. And humanly speaking, there are two churches that are in existence uh, because of uh, the success that my dad had because of his hard work. He even had a sign in his office that says, work first then rest. That was sort of how my dad was. Now, he was a great family guy. Once he was off work, he spent time with family, active in church and serving in church and was uh, very balanced, but he worked a lot of hours. And so as a teenager, I worked 20 hours a week when I was uh, at school and then when I graduated, I started working for my family business and worked six days a week and then went to Bible college and started this church and uh, so we wanted to succeed, we wanted to do well, we wanted to glorify God and so I uh, worked six days a week, often worked long hours in those early days uh, as well and I sort of did that, work first and then rest. I tried to spend time with my family. Uh, I tried to, uh, you know, uh, study really hard and shepherding uh, God's flock and do outreach and all the administra- administrative things that are needed. But I really I didn't have much margin in my life. My to-do list would be quite long. I had... A quantity of accomplishments that I wanted to do That was really unrealistic And I'm somewhat of a perfectionist So my quality of work was very high as well And when you want to do a lot of things And you want to do it exactly right Something is going to happen You know what's going to happen? You're going to fail And so when I would fail I would beat myself up I'd be upset at myself Or sometimes people would come up And They were critical of me or something that was going on, and I hadn't created good boundaries. I didn't have good margin in my life at those days, and I could beat myself up. And then when someone else, I've always taken a lot of pride in my work, and when that would take place, it would be very difficult for me. I didn't have much emotional strength to be able to deal with that, and I would kind of crash and burn. And there were times that I would get depressed. Now, we want to be transparent around here. We want to be authentic. We say we want to be real, raw, and righteous. And so, I I just want to share with you that I've had these struggles in my own life, and I hadn't learned the importance of self-care at this point. Self-care is not selfishness, it's just caring for yourself and being a good steward of yourself emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally all those different aspects. And since I didn't have good margin, and I would deal with some of these uh, times of depression, I had to learn that like what Jesus said, behold the fowl, consider the lilies, taking time to minister to people, making sure that we didn't just have workers in our ministry, but leaders around here. I did a poor job of that in the early years, so I had all the responsibility on me, or at least I felt like I had all that responsibility on me. And, uh, it put me, put me into it at times. And there were times in the early years that I would be in this cave and uh, occasionally since then. And I would get this martyr complex where I was like, man, I'm doing all these things. Why don't other people help, right? And you kind of think highly of yourself and then look down on other people. And then you're thinking highly of yourself and you're beating yourself up and thinking you're worthless at the same time. My body would feel heavy, my mind would feel foggy, my emotions were numb, my eyes would be somewhat distant. I don't know if you have ever dealt with that or you've been around a loved one that's dealt with some of those things before. But it's, as I would said before, emotionally spent, physically exhausted, and relationally isolated. And when you get to a point like that, you are in the cave. And a cave is not a good place. Now this is a place that Abraham Lincoln, Would have entered into Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, Moses, Jonah, King David, and even Elijah. And when Elijah ended up in the cave, God came to him and he said, what are you doing here? He wanted him to get out of the cave. So the last couple weeks we've talked about uh, how we can get out of that cave. We talked about how did we get here, and it has a lot to do with our unmet expectations in life. What am I doing here emotionally, physically, and relationally burnout? And today, why should I leave here? God comes to Elijah, and he says, it's time to get out of the cave. But why should I leave here? Or to be a little more practical, how do I get out of the cave? What are some steps that we need if we've been in the cave or if we're in that cave right now? Because I've talked to people that watch us online or have even been uh, live and said, yeah, I've been over that during this social distancing, during this isolation where school's at home and work's at home and everything's at home and uh, being kind of isolated. They said they had been to that cave and they had dealt with anxiety, fear, depression, all these kind of things as well. And sometimes even thoughts Of taking their life. So, what are some steps that we can do to get out of this cave? Well, I have two simple thoughts, and I think when we're in the cave, it's got to be simple. You know, when you're in that cave, you don't want a list of 20 things to do because you feel like you can't do anything at that point. But I'll give you two, and I think they're very vital. The first is simply this: do the right thing. Do the right thing. First Kings 19.11, notice what it says. Then he said, God talking to Elijah, go out. He's saying, I want you to get out of this cave. You are a prophet, and a prophet speaks to people. That's what it means to be a prophet, to speak in place of. He was a preacher, and you can't preach to anybody while you're in the cave. You've got to get out of the cave. Go out. And stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. You see, he was used to the dynamic. Elijah would call down fire from heaven. He performed miracles, brought people back to life. He was able to do all these incredibly dynamic things. And he was expecting God to speak by that way, but God wasn't in the great uh, wind, there. The strong wind tore before the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Could you imagine how dynamic that would have been? But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice, a whisper. You see, we live in a world of that dynamic. There's always somebody wanting our attention. Whether it's the boss wanting us to work overtime, whether it's the kids asking us to do something, whether we look around and the house is a mess, whether we look at our emails and there's so many that have come in, how am I going to get all this work done today? We've got to do these different activities. Our to-do list is so long. We have so much screaming at us in life. But God just wants to whisper to us. And with all that noise, if we don't move away from that, we can't hear the voice of God. He says, go out so I can speak to you in this still, small voice. God is patiently waiting. He wants to talk to us, but he's not going to scream at us. The world doesn't mind screaming. They will do whatever they can do to get our attention. They'll put a cell phone in our pocket that keeps buzzing over and over again that we just gotta regularly check it. But God is patiently waiting. And he's waiting for us to listen to him because he's speaking in a still, small voice. And we can't know the plan of God until we stop and listen. Get out of the cave, I want you to listen. Go and listen. Remember Mary and Martha? Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and Martha was serving. And she was getting her house ready, getting a meal ready for Jesus. And she said, Jesus, why don't you get Mary to help me? He said, she's doing the most important thing. She's just sitting here talking to me. That's what I want you to do. It's not about all the things you can do for God. It's what I can do for you. God was talking to Mary. Just simply do the right thing. I have this note on my desk. It says, do the right thing, not everything. Do the right thing, not everything. That's important. Figuring out what God wants us to do and then doing it. I have a couple questions. Why is it that we try to do so much in life? You know, maybe it's the American way or maybe it's just the way that we were brought up or we want to climb to the top of our military career or our our, our business and financial success or even in Christian ministry, uh, there's always somebody asking for something, right? And, And people praise hard work and maybe that's why we do all those things. But remember, what we say yes to is a no to everything else. And when we say yes to work, we're saying no to our family. And when we say yes to the television, we're saying no to reading our Bible or whatever the case would be. You can't say yes to everything. Why do we fill our schedule up so much? And secondly, why do we feel guilty about saying no? Anybody, you hate saying no, you kind of feel guilty at times when somebody asks you to do something? Yeah. All right. And some of those... Their spouses are saying, keep it up a little bit longer, right? Yeah, we can struggle with it. Whether it's extra hours at work or serving in too many areas or we do so much for our kids. You know, if you keep doing for your kids over and over and over again, they don't learn to serve. They just learn to take. They think this world is about me. And then they get upset, mom, when you do say no event. Well, why not? I deserve all these things, right? Yeah, if you have kids, you can kind of relate to that uh, as well. And uh, sometimes we keep doing so much for our kids. We're running them around. They're involved in so many sports, so many different activities that they're not faithful in church. And uh, we just need to stop and sit down and talk as a family sometimes, but we can be so busy doing. God said, hey, I want you to go get out of the cave. And listen, our misplaced goals can cause us to enter into the cave. Remember how busy Elijah was? He was doing so much on his own because he said, nobody else is willing to do anything, and he did that to his own destruction. You know, why do you take care of all the things? Take the trash out, do all the to do anything. And then we end up in that martyr's complex. We end up in that cave these misplaced goals, even when we're doing good things. Do the right thing when you're in the cave. Go, he says, first of all, in verse 11, go listen, get out of the cave. And then in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go return. It's not just about what we hear. It's not just about hearing the sermon this morning, but it really is about acting upon what we hear. Go return on your way to the wilderness. And notice this. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Notice that. I have a job for you to do. And you can't do that while you're in the cave. Look at verse 16 here. Very uh, interesting as well. Not only did he anoint the king of Syria, verse 16. And also shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. I want you to get out of the cave so you can go anoint some leaders. Political leaders and the next spiritual leader. Elisha is going to take your place. And you cannot reproduce anything positive while you're in the cave. So I want you to go, get out, I want you to listen. What is it that God wants you to do? And then I want you to act upon it. And one of the most important things you can do is act upon it by pouring your life into some other people. You see, when we're sitting in the cave, we're thinking about poor me, Why doesn't somebody call me? Nobody ever does anything for me. I have to do everything, right? It's me, me, I, and it's all those things, and we're focused on ourselves. And God says, hey, I want you to start focusing on other people, do the right thing. I want you to go and do. He's saying, I want you to fulfill your responsibilities. You get into the cave and the house gets messy, and there's a bunch of dishes to be done, and the bills don't get paid, and the laundry's stacking up, and you don't feel like going to work, and all the things that you need to do, you need to be exercising, you need to be planning meals uh, well, but you don't feel like it, so you don't go to the grocery store, so you pick up uh, something that's not as healthy to eat, and things snowball, and they cycle out of control. And you start looking at yourself, oh man, I just need a break. So you sit down and watch Netflix for several hours and eat a dozen donuts and you wonder why things aren't going that well, right? And you go, know, oh, "Now I just need a vacation." And we just keep running and running. That's what he did. He fled, and he ended up in the wilderness and then he ended up in a cave and you have to step back and say, so "I got to get out of the cave. There's some things I need to step up." I need to start doing some things. Maybe we have financial problems because we've missed work or we're not paying our bills or we have health problems because we're not sleeping right because we stayed up and watched too many episodes of Netflix and And, and then we're not eating right and we're not exercising. We're not exercising because we don't feel good and we don't feel good because we're not exercising, right? All these things are happening. Relationship problems because people stop coming around because you're always complaining about everything. You think, nobody loves me. Spiritual problems, so you're not reading your Bible. You don't feel like going to church, so you don't go to church. And all these things snowball. And we end up in this huge emotional problem Maybe we even ask ourselves the question How could anybody love me? Nobody cares I mean I've been there Maybe you've been there And we need to do the right thing We need to fulfill our responsibilities We need to step up Maybe we need to clean the house We need to get back on track paying our bills. We need to eat healthy. We need to go to bed earlier. We need to get a better schedule. Maybe we need to exercise. You see, here's a couple things. You can be depressed for many different reasons. If there's a spiritual reason, repent. And if it's a physical problem, then get on some medication. And if it's a relational problem, forgive somebody. And if it's a discipline problem, do the right thing. And if it's an emotional problem, you need to start thinking correctly. But we're all alone in this cave, and we feel isolated, and we just sit there. And God says, go, get out of the cave, do the right thing, fulfill your responsibilities. Number one, do the right thing. Second step, how do we get out of the cave? Secondly, look to the future. Look to the future. Remember what he did? He anointed Elisha. To be the next prophet. Remember he said go. I want you to anoint these kings. And then I want you to anoint Elisha. Because he's going to take your place. You need to develop other leaders around you. You need to build your team. You can't do all these things. Elijah was doing so much that he ended up in the cave. You see God is more concerned with who we are than what we do. It's not just going to church or serving in a, a ministry or you know, reading our Bible a certain amount of time or having a Bible verse memorized or whatever we want to put on that list. It's becoming the right kind of person. We need to look to the future and build a heritage because we reproduce who we are, not just what we do. Not, not just hell, right? Have you ever told your kids, hey, I, I'm going to do this, but you can't do it, Right? Well, what's going to happen? Oh, yeah, Mom, I'll stay away from that. Yeah, Dad, okay. Yeah, I'll never do that, even though I see you doing it every night, right? We need to look to the future and build a heritage. Now, let me pause for a second, because last week and even a little this week, I talked about criticism in the ministry. And let me say, so it is October, Pastor Appreciation Month. And I want you to know, Occasionally, we you know, we've got to deal with problems or sometimes criticism. Uh, you know, the past six months, like, when do you open up? When do you start kids' ministry? Uh, at what points do we put masks on? How do we deal with this? How do we clean everything? You know, and, and there's been all kind of different ideas. And sometimes, you know, uh, different ideas lead to uh, people being upset or whatever. But let me say this. Uh, we love serving in this church here, the pastoral team, counts it a blessing you do make it easy uh, for us to be able to serve you and I just want to say how much I appreciate the team. You know when we decided to start having services again not everybody was coming back. Some shouldn't be coming back because of health issues we understand that but not everybody was coming back. And not only did we have to fill one service, we decided, for social distance reasons, we we're going to have two services. So having two services with half the number of people, that wasn't an easy thing. Whether it be the music team that's gone that uh, second mile and gone extra, or when we started the kids' ministry, with our nursery and toddlers and the preschool and their elementary classes. I mean, that team has stepped up and served our church well. And I hope you show appreciation to them because they are doing such a wonderful job. Many of them are going the extra mile right here. But let me say this. If you are a ministry leader, you can go the extra mile temporarily. But if you try to do it all on your own and you don't build a team, you'll probably end up in that cave and you feel like, I do everything, nobody wants to do anything else. And when you end up in that kind of attitude, you probably won't enlist anybody. We are so grateful for the team that's working at building our kids' ministry and working in other areas, whether it's removing the chairs here after this service or the grounds ministry or the welcome team has uh, does such a great job in keeping us secure in these different areas to their people that look to the future. And it's not just, oh man, it's been a difficult six or seven months, or you know I'm going through struggles, I have family issues, all work is kind of a pain and all these kind of uh, issues, but the reality is we need to focus on others. Look at verse 18. God says this to Elijah, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that is not kissed him. Sometimes young people feel, I'm the only one that's trying to live for God. Everybody else is doing all these things. I want you to know, we're not alone. There are other people that are doing the right thing. We need to make sure. See, you don't find them in the cave, though. And you don't find them at the parties, uh, either. You find them by walking with godly people. There's 7,000. There's still other people around. There is a heritage that's here. Let's look at pouring into other people. Elijah, you're a prophet. Minister to people. Don't stay in the cave. And then verse 19, notice how he enlists Elisha here. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him, and he threw his mantle on him. Remember what God said? I want you to anoint Elisha to be the person that's going to take your place. He's going to be the next prophet. And he threw his mantle on him, describing. Elisha knew what that meant. Look at verse 20. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. I just want to go back and say goodbye. Goodbye. And he said, Go back again. For what have I done to you? Just remember, you are called. You have a plan. So Elisha turned back from him, and he took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh. Wow, he took the oxen and killed it using the oxen's equipment. He burnt up the plows. What did he do? He said man God has called me to this So I have to burn this bridge So I'm no longer going To work in the field God's called me to be a prophet And he burns up the plow And he serves other people And they ate And he arose And followed Elijah And became his servant Do you know what impresses me So much about uh, Being able to serve here for 28 years That kids that grew up in this church, that they serve in the music ministry or they serve in the back or they work in our impact kids wing or working with our our teenagers and serving in so many different areas, it's such an incredible blessing to see our families growing and reproducing. When studies say that the majority of teenagers, once they get out of high school, they enter into college or the workforce... Stop going to church and most never return. That's a scary statistic. That's why we say around here that our teens are not the future church. They're our current church. We want them actively serving. And our young adults do such a great job of building relationships and building them up so they can serve in the ministry around here as well. You see, it's about looking to the future. It's about building a heritage and when we're in the cave, we're so caught up with who we are and what we're, we're doing, we need to say, all right, I need to get out of the cave. I need to listen to the voice of God. I need to obey, and one of the key things is investing in the lives of other people. Over the summer, someone was uh, preaching and they said, you know, I've realized that to leave a legacy, it's not just about when I brought my kids up when they were in my home, but it's me being a good example for my adult children And even my grandchildren. And I was like, wow, that's powerful. Even as we get older, God has a point. As long as there is that breath in our lungs, there is hope. God has a plan. And he wants to use us not to sit in a cave, but to get busy and investing in people like Elisha. Or the 7,000 that didn't bow their knee. Elijah couldn't leave a legacy in the cave. Remember, this is not a sprint that we're trying to do. This is a marathon. And even more than a marathon, it's a relay race that we pass the baton to the next generation. Build a heritage. Look to the future. Do you know as you get to the Old Testament what it says about Elijah? It's not a... Thought about the cave But notice what the book of Malachi says Chapter 4 verse 5 Behold I will send you Elijah the prophet See that's what he was He was a prophet Yes he ended up in a cave for a little while But he didn't stay there And notice what he's going to do Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, verse 6, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Wow, he's going to pour into other people. He realizes he has a responsibility to care for others. In this movie of life, maybe there's a season where you dealt with anxiety, fear, depression. But you don't have to stay there. I want to be a good steward of that breath, that air that God gave me. And he wants to give us hope today that we can continue on. And Elijah could be the prophet pouring into other people. And even when we get to the New Testament, Elijah is thought of as so highly. When John the Baptist comes on the scene and he begins preaching as a forerunner of Jesus, people say, maybe that's Elijah reincarnate." John, the dynamic forerunner of our Messiah. And they said, That's what Elijah was like. Not a guy in a cave. See, God sees you as much more. And even when Jesus was walking with his disciples, and he looks at them and he says, What are other people saying about you? who do they say that I am? They looked and said, Some people. Say that you're Elijah. Could you imagine your life being such a way that people thought that you're like Jesus, the Son of God? No, he's not a man in a cave. He's viewed as this godly individual. Even when Jesus transforms himself away from his flesh and into his deity Moses and Elijah show up and we even see them later in the book of Revelation yes for a season we may go through fear and anxiety we may have discouragement and depression but God says get out of the cave I don't want you staying in there Do the right thing and look to your future. There's somebody that you can invest in. It's not over, there is hope. I want you to impact lives for God's glory. There's still stuff to do. As long as you have breath, then God is saying, I will give you hope. We just need to listen to it. In the cave, our mind plays tricks on us. It gets really negative and nasty. But if I can stop and listen to the voice of God, and friend, if you're here struggling or have a spouse that's struggling or a child or a parent or grandparent that's struggling with depression, we can make a difference in their life. God can make a difference in their life. And if you're online, you feel isolated and alone today, I know it's been a difficult season for many people, I want you to know that God wants to give you hope. Jesus died for you, that's how much he loves you. Isn't that incredible? He gave his life up so you and I could spend eternity with him. That's an incredible love. As Pastor Steve was talking about heaven a little while ago. What a wonderful place. Jesus died for us. We should live for him. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, get that settled in your life. And if you do, as a child of God, as you have breath, and he's given us hope, Let's serve him faithfully. Let's bow our heads as the team comes. Friend, with your heads bowed, whether you're online or on site, as you're listening to the voice of God and his still, quiet voice, As he whispers to you, there's other voices raging. There's the satanic realm that's wanting you to be negative and think negatively. There's other people. Maybe you have a parent that criticized you growing up and said you would never turn out. Maybe there's an ex-spouse that was critical of you. Maybe you feel like a failure at work or... In other areas of life and you've ended up in this cave or maybe you have been so successful and you just have set poor boundaries and occasionally you just end up in that place and you haven't had good self-care either way your thoughts turn negative and then you start taking it out on yourself And if we're not careful at those times, our thoughts can go so negative that we even think of taking our life. Dear Father, I pray for those that are struggling in isolation and discouragement. They feel like they're in that cave right now. May you give them hope. May you give them love, joy, and peace today. I pray for the people that are in this room. I pray for their families. Lord, during this moment, may they turn to you. May they listen to the next step. And God, may they take that next step of being open and honest with some people. Lord, they've tried it on their own and they end up in the cave. Help them to get around some people that can help them. Help loved ones, help this church to be there for them. And friend, just before we conclude our prayer, if you don't know for sure you're going to heaven, admit to Jesus that you're a sinner and trust him because he died, was buried, and he rose again the third day. And he's waiting up in heaven to hear from you just to call upon him. Ask for forgiveness and ask for that free gift of salvation by faith right now. Call upon him. Dear Jesus, take this time and I pray that you would change minds, that you would change hearts, that you would change lives and families and our communities and our church. God, give us hope today. You are the God of hope. Thank you that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. In Jesus' name.